Let me ask you a question today. What do you spend your time thinking about? What do you spend your time thinking about? You know, apparently, we, on average, have about 10,000 different thoughts a day. That works out to be, apparently, if you do the maths, three and a half million different thoughts. No wonder we get tired. Today we sang 10,000 reasons. I wonder whether they use that because there are 10,000 different thoughts that we have each day. But what do you spend most of your time thinking about? Maybe you can share with the person near to you. And remember you're in church. So you have to be honest but be careful. What do you spend most of your time thinking about? We've been looking about building community. And we've said that community starts when we value one another as God values each one of us. Each one of us is special to God. Sometimes we don't feel as special as we really are, but we are special to God. Each one of us, God made us, God created us, God formed us together in our mother's womb. You're fearfully, you're wonderfully made, he said. And we need to recognize that in one another and value each other. Then we need to encourage one another, build each other up. 1 Thessalonians 5.11. Encourage one another. We're not supposed to go through life on our own, but through life with encouragement, support, help from one another as we journey through life together. And community is formed when we have that mindset to encourage and help one another. Then we need unity to do that. In John 17, the prayer that he gave, the most important prayer that he said, I'm going to give for the generations to follow is that they may be one. Just as I am in the Father and the Father is in me, may we be in them so that they may be brought to complete unity so the world may know, the world may believe that you sent us. Unity. Community needs unity. It's part of it. It's why the end of community says unity. It's about being one together. And so often, Summit tries to get in and break the unity and the communities fall apart. The last time we looked, or the time before we looked about effective community is about serving one another. John 13, this is Jesus on the night that he was betrayed. Before he took the bread and the wine, what did he do? He got on his knees and he washed their feet. And they said, what are you doing? You're the master. And he said, you don't understand what I'm doing now, but you've got to do this for one another. You need to serve one another. Community, building community happens when we start having eyes that, that stop about me and start about our other people and that I have a focus to serve others and allow others to serve me. The greatest relationships that you will find are relationships of mutual service. When I start saying, I want my needs met, that's when relationship falls apart. But when I focus and trust someone else and allow them to trust me to meet their needs and it's a reciprocal relationship, that's where you have effective relationships. Whether that be in marriage or with parents and children 
or wherever in church and so on. Serve one another. And last time we looked at it, we said we need to accept one another. Accept one another as Christ has accepted us. We're all different, have different gifts and abilities, and we need to accept those that are not the same as ourselves and rejoice in the difference rather than see the difference as a sense, as a, as a threat to who we are. Rejoice that everybody is different. Rejoice that they have different gifts and abilities to me and we're not in competition with one another. We're here to support each other. We're here to allow those differences to flourish through an acceptance of one another. But today I asked you a question. I said to you, why your thoughts? Because building community begins here in your mind. We can value, we can encourage, we can do all these things, but community begins in our thinking and in our thoughts. Philippians chapter 4 verse 8, we're going to look at this today. He says, finally, brothers and sisters, whatever is true, whatever is noble, whatever is right, whatever is pure, whatever is lovely, whatever is admirable, if anything is excellent or praiseworthy, think about such things. Say it with me. Finally, brothers and sisters, whatever is true, whatever is noble, whatever is right, whatever is pure, whatever is lovely, Whatever is admirable, if anything is excellent or praiseworthy, think about such things. Let that truth just filter in for a second. Whatever is true, noble, right, pure, lovely, admirable, excellent or praiseworthy, think about such things. Somebody put it like this, watch your thoughts, for they become your words. Watch your words, for they become your actions. Watch your actions, for they become your habits. Watch your habits, for they become your character. Watch your character, for it becomes your destiny. It starts here. That's where it starts, in your thinking. We see it in the news sometimes, don't we? People who, who fill their minds with certain things and then they start acting it out. And then the actions become habits, the habits become character, the character ends up being the destiny of their lives. Watch your thoughts, 10,000 a day. What do you spend your time focusing on? Phil read this earlier, Psalm 19. Don't you love the coordination? I don't even you know I was going to put this up, did you? Oh, you did, okay. The law of the Lord is perfect, refreshing the soul. The statutes of the Lord are trustworthy, making wise the simple. The precepts of the Lord are right, giving joy to the heart. The commands of the Lord are radiant, giving light to the eyes. The fear of the Lord is pure, enduring forever. The decrees of the Lord are firm, 
of them are righteous. They're more precious than gold, than much pure gold. They're sweeter than honey, than honey from the honeycomb. By them your servant is warned, and in keeping them there is great reward. The list is similar, isn't it, to the list we see in Philippians 4, verse 8. Those characteristics, things we need to think about. So let me ask you, out of your 10,000 thoughts each day, out of the things that maybe you shared or maybe you were afraid to share, how many of them are true and noble and right and pure and lovely and admirable? Let's look at that and just stop for a moment. What does that really mean anyway? Whatever is true, whatever is noble, whatever is right, pure, lovely, think about such things. Whatever is true, what does that mean? What is true? Well, it means something that's factual, that's accurate, that is real. How many times do you think about things that are, may happen? Things that are not real, but, but possible. Where does fear come from? Most of our fear comes from thinking about things not that are true, but things that might be true. And so we start getting worried about it. Oh, well, maybe this is going to happen to me or that's going to happen to me. And, and most of the time when we think about and we have fears about things, they never happen anyway, do they? And we go, oh, thank goodness for that. Nearly all of the things that we're worried about, they're not really ever true. They're not factual. They're not real. They're the what-ifs in life. And we think of the, the most negative scenario we can because of our fear. And the word says, focus on what is true, what is real. Is it true when you have a thought the first question you ask it is hey is this true or is this maybe make-believe is this something else Jesus said I am the way the truth and the life Jesus said I'm the truth I'm the one that defines what truth is. I am the, the standard by which truth is measured. Is what you're thinking really true? Whatever is true, whatever is noble, what does it mean to be noble? Helpful? Well, noble really means something that is, inspires or is worthy of reverence or awe. That's what something noble is. Something that you stand there and you go, God, that's, that's awesome. That's, that's really good. I love that. that that's, that's just great. You know, sometimes when you go into an art gallery, a bit of culture, go to an art gallery, and you walk past, you see all these paintings up, right? What do you do? You don't go there and stand for half an hour at each one, do you? What do you do? You look around, that's what, well, if you're like me, you look around the whole room, and then one of them, there'll be something in that one. And the rest, you'll go, uh-huh, 
Uh-huh, uh-huh. They might be costing like a hundred million and somebody else thinks they're worth a great deal of money, but you'll be going, just a couple of colors on a piece of paper. What's that? But then you'll get a one painting and you'll just stand there. And for some reason, it will captivate you. And you'll, you'll be going, you know what? I like that one. I like that one. That, that, that just speaks to me some way. Nobody else is there. They're all looking at the, the really important ones. But you'll be there looking at this. Happens. You go to the Tate Modern. The best place to go to check this out. You know, painting called grey. And it's just grey. You know, and I'm thinking, why didn't I think of that? <laughs> Bit of Dulux. I could have done that. And right next to it, black. <laughs> and then white. And I'm like, oh, I could have done that myself. But no. You know, and I, I just walk by those because I think, well, I know gray. But then I get to another one and I, you know, and there was a little Van Gogh there. And I went, hmm, yeah, seen that in a book. But then there was another picture there and I stood there for ages just looking at it. Because something about it spoke to me. That's what it means to be noble. It, it inspired me. There was just something that, that connected with me, with, with the, the artist that painted that picture. And then I stood and I, I pondered. And it took me to places that I hadn't recognized I, I was going to go to. Except that painting. You know what I'm talking about? You've been there. That's what it means to be noble. It, it inspires. You respect it. So when you think about your thoughts, is it worth that kind of respect? Is it worth you stopping and thinking about this? Or is it something that should just, ah, it's just gray. Let me pass on. Whatever is true, whatever is noble, whatever is right. In 1 John 3, verse 7 and 8. Dear children, do not let anyone lead you astray. The one who does what is right is righteous, just as he is righteous. The one who does what is sinful is of the devil, because the devil has been sinning from the beginning. The reason the Son of God appeared was to destroy the devil's work. What the word is saying is that what is right is not just Right and wrong, it's not just like a maths test, but right leads to righteousness. Righteousness is that relationship that we have with God. So when we say, is it right, what we're saying is, by God's standards, does it help to grow the relationship with God? Is it right? Is it helpful? Is it going to nurture that relationship? And we need to recognize that this is by God's standards. I have a lot of standards that I think things are right by. Because I like them to be right. Yeah, this is good. Ice cream. Definitely right. Cake. Definitely right. You know, all these things. But, but that's my standard. What is right is by the standard of God. Is it going to help grow the relationship with God? Is this thought that is coming into my mind helpful in that relationship growing? Or is it damaging? And honestly, I think most thoughts are one or the other. 
They either grow and build up or they pull apart and they destroy. Is it right? Is it true? Is it noble? Is it right by God's standards? Is it pure? Ephesians 5, for this you can be sure, no immoral or impure or greedy person, such as a person such as an idolater, has any inheritance in the kingdom of Christ and of God. When we talk about pure, it's, it's as though if your, if your thoughts were broadcast, would you be embarrassed? I heard about a former minister here at Trinity Church. They have one of those lapel mics, you know, the radio mics. After the service, they forgot to switch it off. Fatal mistake. So everybody in the church could hear their conversation. And they heard the poor fellow when he went to the toilet. But imagine if we went around with a lapel mic on in our brain. And all our thoughts were being broadcast like that. All your actions, all your thoughts, everybody could hear them. Now, if they were pure, we wouldn't worry, would we? I wouldn't worry if they were pure. It would be the impure ones that I wouldn't want you to see and hear. Those are the ones that I would be embarrassed about because you would start like, hey, this is a pastor. He's like this. You would be okay because you would have the mic on as well. And I would get to hear all of yours. You know, you were at the Emirates yesterday with the thriller with Liverpool. How many of the thoughts towards the referee were pure when you were one nil down? You know what I'm saying? It would be frightening, wouldn't it? Or am I the only one that occasionally, once a year, has an impure thought? I thought so. You know what I'm saying. Whatever is true, whatever is noble, whatever is right, whatever is pure, whatever is lovely. What's lovely? Lovely, this is the only time the word lovely appears in the Bible. You know that in the New Testament, in the Greek? It means attractive, pleasing. It means literally something like a magnet that attracts love. That's what it means. Is it, is it lovely? Means is it, is, it, is it attracting love towards itself? You know, when somebody is lovely, that's what happens. They attract people, don't they? Oh, Phil's such a lovely guy. What happens? Everybody wants to be around Phil. Because he's, he's just an, like a magnet. And he attracts people to him because, because you see things within him. Why? Because he brightens up your day. When you go and have a conversation with Phil, you come away feeling more radiant. You feel better because, because he's lovely. That's what lovely is. You know people that are lovely. And you know people that are unlovely. The unlovely ones, you go and you spend time unlovely feel and, and you go that was hard work I'm drained you know those people 
for the lovely feels? God, let me just let me just spend time. Hey, come for coffee with me. Let's do this. Why? Because because I I feel great afterwards. Why? Because love is is, is being shared and like a magnet. I feel better. I feel great. That's what it means to be lovely. It positively transforms me. It makes me feel better when it's lovely. Whatever is true, noble, right, pure, lovely, and admirable. Admirable means that it's, it's worthy of study and contemplation. You're sitting at home, you're tired, you're in your living room, you've got your bag of chips by you, crisps, whatever, cashew nuts if you're being healthy, ice cream if you're like me, with sugar and cream on top, just to finish it off. You've got an hour of freedom. You have the remote control in your hand. You're in the lazy boy, which is my seat at home, which flicks up to rest your weary limbs and leans right back. And you've got Sky Television or BT or whatever. So you've got 53,000 channels. 52,990, which are completely useless to you. But you got them anyway. Where do you stop? Because you just start flicking. You can't be bothered. You've got an hour. You're not going to look at the, the, the schedule thing. That's like hard work. So you start on 101. And you just start going till you find something. You've been there. You find something that appeals to you. And when you get there, you stop. That's what's admirable. You find something that's worthy of you spending that hour. Did you ever done that? And you stopped at the wrong thing? And you think, what a waste of an hour. God, that was useless. It looked good, but it ended up terrible. I've never done that. Right. That's not true. I've failed the first one already. Anyways. But that's what admirable means. It means it's worthy of, of you pondering. It's worthy of you stopping on it. It's worthy of you because there's something in it. There's something there that's worth seeing. That's worth staying with. Is it worth my focus, my attention? Now the word says that those are the six criteria. The other one, is it excellent? Is it praiseworthy? It's kind of like a summary of these six. Is it true? Is it noble? Is it right? Is it pure? Is it lovely? Is it admirable? Those are the things that we need to focus in our minds. Those 10,000 thoughts a day, the word says, you know what? You want most of them to be like that. Because then that will build you up. 
That's why it's about building community. You see, it starts up here. If we train our minds, if we think about the good things, the pure, the noble, the lovely, the admirable, the right things, then that will impact the people around us. And conversely, you spend your time thinking about the other things, that will impact the people around you as well, but in a negative way. You want to build community? Spend your time thinking about good things because what happens? Your thoughts become words and your words become actions and your actions become habits and your habits become your character and your character becomes your destiny. Start where you mean to go on in these things. If anything is excellent, that's the list. Praiseworthy, that's the list. Think about these things. The question is, well, how, how do we even start to do that? How do we train? How do we get our minds to do that? How do we choose the positive over the negative? Firstly, we need to recognize that we have the power. 2 Corinthians 10, it says this. The weapons we fight are not the weapons of the world. On the contrary, they have divine, that's the dunamis power of God, to demolish strongholds. We demolish arguments and every pretension that sets itself up against the knowledge of God. And what does it say? And we take captive every thought to make it obedient to Christ. God has given us the power to take our thoughts and make them captive. So often I think we tend to allow our thoughts free reign in our lives. I can't control them, therefore I won't control them. I'll just let them run riot because that's easier. But the word says, no, God has given you the power to make those thoughts captive. You control those thoughts, not the thoughts control you. And there's a radical difference. You have the power. Do you ever watch the dog whisperer? You ever seen that program? There's this guy, I don't know, where is he in the States? Some Mexican guy, isn't he? Or some, I don't know, anyway. Doesn't matter. But it, people go to him because their dogs are running riot. What does he always do with them? Generally, the problem is that the owner of the dog, like dogs are pack animals, right? So what he does with them every single time is he tells them, he shows them who's boss in a gentle but firm way. He has to let the dog know that he is the boss. And he has to train. He says on the program, he says, really, I'm not training the dog at all. I'm training the owner. It's the owner that's no good, not the dog. And what's happened is the owner has allowed the dog to run riot. And so the dog's chewing up this, that, and the other around the house and terrorizing the neighborhood. And then they come, oh, dog whisperer, can you help? And what does he do? He spends his time training the owner to be the owner. And the dog to respect the owner's authority. 
And when the dog understands that, then, then they go, no, this was a miracle. Praise God, you know. But it's the same with our mind. Who controls your mind? Do you? Or does your mind control you? So often we let our minds control us, but the word says it's the other way around. We have the power to demolish the arguments, to take captive every thought and make that thought obedient to Christ. Recognize you have the power to do this. Secondly, watch where you focus. If you're going to focus on the good things, what's going to happen? Good things will come out. You focus on the negative things, what happens? Negative things come out. We do this. How many of you have ever been on a diet? Mm -hmm. What do you do when you're on a diet? Cheat. There's an honest answer, but not a helpful one. But you look at what you're eating. Generally, you look at it, and then you consume it anyway. But you look at it. I mean, and dieting is a simple process, isn't it? It's simple in, you know, it's not easy to do, but it's a simple process. Just taking less calories than you're burning off, and then you lose weight. The only problem is all the nice things in life have more calories than you wish they would have. That's the problem. But when you start focusing, what do you do? You have to focus on what you're taking in. What do Weight Watchers do? Watch your weight. You watch your calories and you make sure your calories are less than what you're going to be burning off. Then you lose weight. But when it comes to our mind, we never do that. Why don't we do that? Why don't we watch where we focus? Why don't we look at things when we're flicking through the television set and go, you know what, that's not healthy for me. I'm not gonna, I'm, I might want to watch it, but it's not going to be healthy. That's, that's loads of calories in that program. It's not going to be good for me. Let me keep flicking till I find something that's good and wholesome and upright. Watch where you're focused. That book, I might like reading it, might be a good book to read, but it's not helpful for me. So I'm going to stop watching it. I'm going to stop reading it. Watch what you're focusing. We talked about that in the Sermon on the Mount. Your eye takes in so much. And when it's in, it's in. It's hard to deal with it. Watch where you focus. 1 Corinthians 15, 33. Do not be misled. Bad company corrupts good character. And that's not just people. That's television, that's books, that's, that's anything. The internet, things that are bad will corrupt you. Good company will lift you up. Watch where you focus. Look at your life. Where am I focusing my attention? Where am I pointing my thoughts towards? Psalm 19 says whatever, you know, what we read earlier. All those good things, the precepts of the Lord, the word of the Lord. It's, it's helpful, it's upright, it's just. The law of the Lord is perfect. What does it do? It refreshes your soul. 
The statutes of the law are trustworthy. What do they do? They make wise. They help you. The precepts of the law, they're right. They give joy to the heart. Isn't that what you want? Do you not want refreshment in your soul? Do you not want to want wisdom in your life? Do you not want joy in your life? Do you not want light in your eyes so that you become admirable to others? It says, do these things and that's what's going to happen. Or do you want it to be the other way around? Watch where you focus. Thirdly, trust in God's power to change you. You recognize he has the power. Watch where you're focusing. You do your bit, but then you ask God to do his bit. Proverbs 3, 5, trust in the Lord with all your heart and lean not on your own understanding. Romans 12, he says, do not conform to the pattern, but be transformed by what? The renewing of your mind. Say, Lord, I need my mind renewed by you. I need my attention renewed by you. I'll do my bit to focus on the good things that I should focus on. But I need you to, to come in and transform my mind. Lord, I'm going to reach out to you and I'm going to give you permission to come in and change my mind. God won't change it without your permission. Revelation 3.20 says, I'm standing at the door, I'm going to knock. But it's you that has to open the door and allow him to come in. And if you don't open the door, he's going to stand there knocking. Do you want your mind transformed? Ask him to transform it. Trust him. Say, Lord, I'm going to trust you. Come in and transform my mind. Do that for me. And allow in Philippians 4.9 the peace of God then to flow through you. Philippians 4.9, he says at the end. Shouldn't have focused that up. There you go. Whatever you have learned or received or heard from me or seen in me, put it into practice. And then what's going to happen? The peace of God will be with you. The God of peace will be with you. 10,000 thoughts a day. That's how many we have. We have a choice where we're going to invest. It's like God gives you 10,000 pounds and says, here's the stock market. Which, one are you, which company are you going to invest in? One that goes up and brings great reward or one that goes down and brings ruin? What are you going to do? Where are you going to invest yours? And one last thought. We always have grace. As I was putting this together, I was thinking... Oh my goodness, I honestly don't know how many of my 10,000 thoughts are pure and beautiful and right and noble and admirable. But I know that it's not 10,000. That's the truth about me every day. There are others where as beautiful as Phil is, sometimes he's irritating as beautiful as anybody is, sometimes they're irritating. And I'm sure I'm irritating to Phil. And so on. And then those thoughts start whirling, don't they? And your 10,000 starts clicking down and down and down and down and down. 
And it gets to the point sometimes where that 10,000 gets quite low of admirable and pure and noble thoughts. And it can get to the point where you wake up tomorrow and you're already thinking negative before you've even got out of bed. The beautiful thing is grace. That every day God says, I'm going to give you a fresh start. Every day. Today can be the day I come in. Today can be the day that we start this again. I can forgive you for yesterday. I can forgive you right up to this point. For God so loved the world that he came, that he died, so that we might have life in all its fullness. He says to you and me, you know what, David? I recognize you messed up yesterday that 10,000 was more like 1,000. You had a bad day. But I'm giving you 10,000 more today. And with my help, we can make this a better day, a good day. Never forget the grace of God. Never forget that grace changes everything. Sometimes we get into such a rut that we think, God can't forgive me. That God can't do this. But you know what? God's grace is always bigger. Bigger than you and me. Praise the Lord for that. He gives you a fresh start every day. Whatever is true, noble, right, pure, lovely, and admirable. So how are you doing today? Can you play, Phil? While we just sit and spend a bit of time with Jesus. For some of us, for some of us, that means we need to let go of what we're bringing from yesterday into today. And Lord, we ask now that you would forgive us and that you would transform our minds. We're taking yesterday's baggage, yesterday's negativity. And Lord, I'm bringing it today. And I've been doing that for weeks. Forgive me. Today you've given me a fresh start. Help me to grasp that. Brothers, we're too loose with our thinking. Oh, I'm bigger than, than what I take in. I can handle it. And we allow and we, we, we squander that 10,000. And we throw it away on things that are just, that are unhelpful. And we wonder why things start to go wrong in our actions. And we go, whoa, that's not me. And instead of repenting, we, we change our standards. Lord, forgive me. Lord, help us to take every thought captive. Help us to, to agree to diet our minds and be careful what we eat, what we allow in, 
Lord, may it be pure and noble and right and pure and lovely and admirable. Because the truth is, then I will become true and noble and right and pure and lovely and admirable. That is what I want to be. we thank you for those days and those times where that list from Philippians is true for us sometimes when we go away on conferences or we spend time in worship at home or we're reading your word or reading a book that's uplifting we feel so good and your truth and your nobility and your righteousness and your purity and everything that is lovely and admirable about you flows into us thank you for those moments grow them within us we pray so that we may be more how we want to be for your honor and glory.